0: and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitian's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on what is now our 54th episode. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into the episode, we just want to put out a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcast episodes, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them. You know, take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, Tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, tag Jack, tag myself, and if you are also interested in getting in contact with us regarding coaching, you can find the links below to our website or alternatively search www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com and you can also find us on YouTube if you want to see us in a video format. And yeah, I thought I would also mention that this is a pretty special episode because we're recording this today on the 11th of December 2019, so by the time most people start listening will probably be the 12th of December. And what's pretty cool is that exactly one year ago on the 12th of December 2018, Jack and I actually started TBD, and that's when we released our very first podcast episode. And we would just never have predicted for it to have grown this much in just one year and you know we are so grateful for the people that it's been able to connect us with and the clients you know and everyone literally people worldwide and we have just been blown away by the positive feedback and support that we continuously get from all of you guys so we just want to put out an absolutely huge thank you thank you so much
1: Yeah, it's honestly been amazing and neither of us expected this sort of response and it's also been great to see that we've averaged one podcast episode a week so we've stayed right on track and we can't wait to see where we'll be in five years time considering it's only been one year so it's very exciting for us.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see what the future holds for Uh, the TBD podcast should be great. So before we get into answering the questions from listeners today on the podcast, we're going to give you a bit of a life update because pretty sure it's been quite a few weeks since we've uh, updated you guys what's been going on with us. So Jack, what's been up with you?
1: So nothing has been too out of the ordinary with me in terms of training and nutrition. However, we did just come back from a pretty amazing holiday at the beach. We went to the Sunshine Coast, which Tia and I usually go to once or twice a year with my family. And yeah, we stayed in a pretty amazing house and had a really good time. We actually made a vlog as well, which is out on our YouTube. Just a pretty standard day in the life of us at the beach and training, what we ate, all that sort of stuff. And probably, I can probably speak for both of us in saying that our main highlight was actually seeing our new puppy. Uh, We're calling her Sam. She's a chocolate Merle Border Collie. If you want to Google that, that coloring, it's actually really nice. And yeah, we, the breeders live up in Gympie. So fortunately it wasn't too far of a drive and yeah, it was amazing to see her.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, Sam. She's just so cute and so beautiful. And we get to pick her up in exactly four weeks from now. So the 8th of January, I've got it all marked down on my calendar and, uh, oh my gosh, we're going to have a new family member in four weeks.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a challenge for both of us. Uh, but fortunately we're both stay at home parents, so it should work out.
0: (laughs) Oh man. I am just so excited.
1: (laughs) And how was your week, Tiara?
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, the last week at the beach was literally just a dream. You know, Jack and I, if you see the vlog on YouTube, we were staying in this just incredible house right on Sunshine Beach, you know, and it had its own little walkway down to the beach, and just being able to wake up every single morning, you know, have a cup of coffee in the sun and literally just put on my bikini and run down to the beach and dive into the surf and walk in the morning sun along the sand. It was literally a dream. It was absolute paradise and wow, just had the most amazing week. Uh so much fun. We had probably the best weather possible. It was just sunny blue skies every single day. So we really, really lucked out in that case, but yeah, the last week was just amazing, stress-free, and ah, uh, oh, incredible. But you know what? Now you know it's back to routine, and uh, it feels really good to be back, to be honest. And yeah, in terms of comp prep, as of today, I am 80 days out from my first show, so I'm around 11 and a half weeks out now. So. I've actually been dieting now for about 14 and a half weeks, which is pretty crazy to think. It is just absolutely flown by, but It's pretty cool because I feel like I've finally reached that exciting period of comp prep because, you know, the first half of prep, you know, you lower your calories and, you know, you're still kind of a high body fat percentage. And because you're eating less food, you know, even when you're in the gym, because you've got a bit less carbs than you're used to, you're not getting pumps, you feel flat, but you also just aren't really seeing the results yet. And you're like, man, am I even going to make it? But I really feel like now that I'm in that second half of prep, things are getting really exciting. And, you know, I'm finally seeing my hard work from the previous months and especially my last improvement season over the last year and a half really, really pay off. So that's freaking cool. you know, just little things like waking up every single morning and seeing, you know, a little bit more definition in my muscle bellies, or I'm getting really fricking veiny now, man, especially because this Australian sun, it's like 34 degrees here almost every single day. So always super hot. And, uh, yeah, it's cool to see more veins appearing. I almost feel like sometimes like my chest and legs are going to turn blue. It's kind of funny. Uh, but other than that, you know, things are going really, really well. My weight is now 62 kilograms. So since the start of comp prep, I have lost six kilograms now, So that's not a significant amount of weight, but it's pretty much the exact amount, right amount of weight for me. And it was the rate of loss that I was aiming for. So that's good. And um, really, I haven't had to change my macros or anything yet. Like I literally haven't changed them for Jack. What would it be like two months now or something?
1: Yeah, since probably early October. Yeah,
0: early October. And this happened to me last comp prep too. I feel like I just find a certain amount of macros, right? And my body just stays in the deficit like that. I don't really have to do consistent cuts week after week. And my body just keeps dropping weight, which is really good. So this last week was definitely an exception just because Jack and I were so damn active at the beach every single day, even though I deloaded, you know, I lost almost a kilogram. So uh, yeah, but other than that, you know, rate of loss has been around like 0.3 to 0.5 kilograms per week, which is really, really good. And yeah, feeling good. To be honest, I feel like I am starting to experience more of those comp prep feelings though, especially just the food focus, like, I'm not necessarily hungry because I'm still eating a pretty decent amount of food, but like I'm just always thinking about food. Like even at breakfast time, I will be thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, what I'm going to have for post workout, what I'm going to have for dinner. And I'm just always always thinking about food and I'm not going to lie. Like it is distracting (laughs) and it's interesting how psychology works in that sense. But sometimes I just have to slap my forehead and be like, stop Tiara, just enjoy your oats this morning and stop thinking about what the salad you're going to have at dinner time. So yeah, that's pretty interesting, but yeah, just going along with it, feeling good, feeling good and, um, trust in the process and taking each day as it comes. But yeah, all right, so we are going to get into the questions now. So let's start off with this first question, Jack.
1: So this first one's by Alana and she asks: most important micronutrients to track?
0: Ooh, what a good question because people are always asking just about tracking their macronutrients, right? So it's nice to talk about micros.
1: So this is quite an individual question though and for example someone who is vegan should be paying more close attention to certain micronutrients compared to someone who eats different types of meats on a regular basis. But I think from our experience and from the studies we've done we can sort of give a few micronutrients that people should watch out for. It will depend on like even what country you're in as well but there certainly are different ones that people are more commonly deficient in.
0: Yeah, so it'd probably be, you know, the top things like vitamin B12, iron, zinc, uh, selenium, folate, vitamin D, vitamin E, more things like that. Can you think of anything else? There's a heck of a lot. There's a lot of different types of micronutrients.
1: Yeah, I think vitamin D especially is quite a big one, especially for those individuals that live in a colder climate. Uh, Because you actually only absorb about 10% of vitamin D from food. And the majority is, of course, from sunlight. And especially even if you have an office job or like you get to your office early in the morning and leave late at night, you don't have much direct sunlight, then that can be an issue for you. But yeah, I think especially like if you live in the UK, Europe, etc., then looking into your vitamin D levels is important.
0: Yeah, it's probably one of the most commonly supplemented nutrients there is because if you don't experience, you know, adequate exposure to sunlight, then it is quite likely that you will be insufficient in vitamin D levels. And vitamin D is incredibly important for immune health. You know, it helps to absorb calcium in the small intestine, so it's highly, you know, involved as well in bone health, brain health, you know, muscle health, and also especially athletes who, you know, do train in these colder climates and they don't get adequate sun exposure. You know, it it has been shown in the literature that vitamin D, if you are deficient in vitamin D, then that supplementing actually can increase athletic performance. So that is certainly a very, very important one.
1: Yeah. And I guess one of the confounding factors here is that it is can be tough to know if you are actually deficient in a nutrient because, sure, you'll get a symptom if you are deficient, but that symptom can be mistaken for a variety of other things. And then Dr. Google comes into play, suddenly you have brain cancer or something like that. <laughs> and it's like a slippery slope. And so I think at the end of the day, like a blood test identifying your adequacy in different nutrients is probably the way to go. And these can also change so quickly as well. Like if you are deficient, especially in like a water-soluble vitamin, I would be surprised if people were deficient in one of those. But if you are, and like it's, it's very quick to restore your levels of a water-soluble vitamin and a, a few of the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A as well as stored in the liver. So like you do have quite a big reserve of those. But I think personally, we would recommend getting a blood test to check your adequacy of nutrients. But at the end of the day, like we it's not really that necessary if you're confident in your diet and also your i guess exposure to sunlight in the case of vitamin d
0: yeah and guys it's important to remember that you know nutrient deficiencies will occur over a chronic period of time because like jack just said the body can store a lot of these nutrients within its tissues. So it's kind of got backup reserves. So it's not like if you don't meet your recommended daily intake for iron or zinc or something like that for a few days in a row that you're going to become anemic. No, like it doesn't work that way. It literally has to be, you know, happening over a period of weeks and months for you actually to become fully depleted. But Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I would say that don't track your micronutrient intake on my fitness pal. I actually ran into a funny situation with one of my clients on this because he went and donated blood, you know, and when you donate blood, they test your hemoglobin levels. And um, then he said to me, he's like, you know, Tara, I donated blood and like my iron levels, they were like, they were adequate. They were actually, you know, upwards of the range, but on my fitness Pal, it says that every single day I'm not consuming enough iron, so don't go off MyFitnessPal for uh, seeing whether or not you're meeting your micronutrients. If you do want to track your micronutrients through food a little bit more accurately, there actually is a really, really cool version of... It's kind of like MyFitnessPal. It's called chronometer. So it's really neat. If you just type in Chronometer, um, you can actually use it for free before you actually like uh, buy a subscription. But basically, every single food that you put in, it does calculate the macros, but it also calculates the micronutrient value of those foods too. And then it tells you, you know, how much you are consuming uh, in terms of, you know, the recommendations for your age, your height, and your weight, and whether or not you're actually meeting those recommendations. So chronometer is pretty cool in that case, but there's also other nutrients that you actually can't test through blood tests. So things like calcium, because calcium is so tightly regulated in the body that whenever you have a blood test, usually it will always say that your calcium levels are adequate, but that's because if blood calcium levels aren't adequate, then the body will strategically draw calcium from the bones. So you might need to have something like a DEXA scan to actually test your bone mineral density to actually see, you know, whether or not you have uh, sufficient calcium stores there. So, yeah, I just say speak to your doctor if you think that you are deficient. But other than that, you know, it is it really is quite quite rare.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And moving on to the next question, and this one is. What do you think about dairy consumption during competition prep? Why do people not consume dairy in this period? And the other half was why is dairy demonized by the bodybuilding community?
0: God, do I know. (laughs) Dairy is freaking awesome, man. I love dairy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is one of those things where it's just that bro sort of mentality in terms of bodybuilding. And I guess even the fitness community in general And as Tierra said, dairy is great in the majority of circumstances. The only reason, and this is probably where it got demonized in the first place, is that if you do have lactose intolerance, then you can run into troubles with just uh, GIT distress and like inflammation as well. And especially that inflammatory component is going to be bad in the bodybuilding sense because if you're stepping on stage, you have a distended belly, or you have bloating, or you have excess inflammation, then you're not gonna look your best. But for the vast majority of people, uh, you want to, like, not you want to, but dairy is a very good source of nutrients, uh, especially calcium, and HBV protein as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There is no reason to avoid dairy whatsoever. And usually if you live in a first world country or westernized country, guys, because we all grew up, you know, usually consuming dairy, we still produce that lactase enzyme, so we are still fully capable of breaking down the lactose. And, you know, you will only experience some form of inflammation if you are lactose intolerant. But there's actually new research coming out now, you know, in systematic reviews that People who actually consume more dairy actually have lower levels of systemic inflammation. So they're like the literature is not pointing in the direction that dairy is harmful. And even the Australian Heart Foundation recently released new nutrition recommendations and They said that there's pretty much no restriction on how much full fat dairy you can consume because, you know, previously people thought that the saturated fat in dairy products, especially full cream milk, you know, cheese, full fat yogurt, was harmful. But the literature just doesn't support that, guys. So, uh, it's perfectly fine to consume. And you have to remember as well, that if you are consuming whey protein powder, right? WPC, WPI, casein protein powder, all of that comes from dairy products. So it's all good. And, uh, yeah, dairy's freaking it's so damn nutritious. It's such a great source of protein and calcium and B12 and multiple different other nutrients too. So, um, yeah, consume it like, oh my gosh, I love my Chobani yogurt and I love my cheese every morning and no one can take that away from me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do love Chobani as well. And moving on to the next question, um, this one asks, why is it bad to gain too much weight post-show? So this is quite another individual question and probably if we're strictly speaking of like the bodybuilding sense, then gaining too much weight post-show will essentially like restrict the amount of weight you're able to put on productively in your off season period, like prior to having to mini cut again. And I think this question her is very unique because he managed to accomplish a comp prep starting at quite a heavy body weight and still look phenomenal. Um, and also he was quite heavy on stage as well, which also means that you are able to gain more weight post comp as well. Because if you're 90 kilos on stage, and we always use the numbers 10 to 15% of your stage weight for the first four to six weeks after comp. even if you use the upper range of that, that's almost 15 kilos in the first four to six weeks, which is quite a lot of weight. So, but yeah, bringing it back to the original question, it really just does inhibit your productivity. So if you, if you want to set a limit of even like 20 to 25% body fat before you mini cut, which is quite high and post show in the first like one month you get to 18% body fat, then you don't really have much productive body fat to gain until you're like really, really high above your next stage weight, which just isn't ideal.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, in that post-show recovery period, really trying to restore health, you know, feel like a human being again, putting on a little bit of weight is obviously healthy and we definitely recommend it and staying within those recommendations of 10 to 15% of your body weight. But man, just like Jack said, it's going to come down to productivity of your training. And if you're just really, really piling on weight, you know, but your performance isn't going up, man, and it's just going to be tougher to get off later. And we also talked about this in the last podcast about how Fat cells can undergo hyperplasia, so you can produce more fat cells, right? And once you produce more fat cells, you're stuck with those. You know, you can't get rid of those cells, which is very unfortunate. So yeah, it's just going to make things really, really tough if you overshoot it. And also I just think about the psychology too, the mental health. Also, just from a point of, you know, really thinking about your relationship with food. If you are used to eating various copious amounts of food, it's going to be even more difficult to transition out of that. So it will be really difficult. So I would just try to say to um, try your absolute best to avoid any extremes in the first place.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there will always be exceptions to the rule. But yeah, this is our general recommendation for everyone. Mm -hmm. So moving on to the next question, and this one is non-nutrition related, but it is opinion on wall sits. What are they good for? I've heard many different opinions. (laughs) So this would probably be more of a question for like an exercise physiologist or a physio, but in my, like, I guess, not quite as educated opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, wall sits are an isometric exercise, which means you're not really... Uh, going through a contraction. It's like a fixed contraction. You're not moving at all And so if we're speaking about like muscle hypertrophy sense It's not going to be as good compared to something where you're going through a range of motion like squats or any other sort of hip hinge or quad pressing movement.
0: Yeah, because there's no concentric eccentric concentric eccentric contraction there.
1: mm So in my sort of, I know that warsits, uh and isometric exercises in general are useful for like rehabilitation purposes. Like if you have a patellar tendinopathy, uh, they can be valuable in sort of re-strengthening that area. And also isometric exercises uh, can be used as a pain relief for um, like knee issues and tendinopathy as well. So if your, if your main goal is like muscle hypertrophy, if you're a physique athlete, then they're probably not the best exercise for you. But again, if you do have a knee issue or something else, then seeing your ex-phys or physio uh, is probably the way to go
0: or if you're a personal trainer and you've just put one of your clients through like a half an hour like high intensity leg session or something and then you just want to make them feel the burn and kill them at the very end of your session just make them hold like a one minute wall sit until they fall onto the ground so (laughs) that's usually the situation i've seen it used the most in is pt sessions and like boot camps and stuff
1: yeah, which again, at the end of the day, isn't going to be very valuable for your recovery. It's not going to benefit you in any way. It's just going to make your, your legs hurt.
0: Yes, exactly. Pain.
1: <laughs> and that's the thing. That's an interesting other topic as well is that just because something feels painful or it feels like it's difficult doesn't mean it's actually going to be aligned with your goals. Like if you're goal is to just have a really intense workout, burn some energy, then something like a HIIT workout, like uh, wall sits, I don't know, jumping jacks or whatever, uh, squat jumps is going to be, it's going to accomplish that goal of like increasing your heart rate, burning some calories. But if you're trying to put on muscle then doing something like a wall sit is not going to be that great.
0: Yeah. It really comes down to the question of, are you exercising or are you training? And obviously training is a form of exercise, but I would argue that, you know, training is very regimented. It's very structured. You know, you have a specific goal and you're doing very specific things to achieve that goal and progressing in a specific manner. Whereas, you know, Exercise, just like Jack said, it's really just about burn, like moving your body, burning some energy, feeling like you got to work out in you know, getting that endorphin rush, feeling good about yourself and both are perfectly fine. You know, neither is right or wrong. It just highly comes down to you as an individual. So just uh, really on like, honestly, ask yourself that question. What are your goals? Are you training or are you exercising?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it. this also ties in really well to a second question, which is basically about junk volume and junk volume, like could even be described as exercise as opposed to training, like it's just that sort of activity that might be towards the end of a workout when you're very already quite fatigued and it's just not very productive Mm. so it could it could be proper exercises as well like it could be you could do a leg leg press or a squat right at the end of your leg session and i would argue to say that do you really have enough left in you to give that your all after already doing a bunch of other stuff or are you doing like a wall sit at the end of your workout which is also not going to be that productive
0: Yeah, exactly. It's about whether or not that specific exercise is actually going to achieve something for you in changing your physique, or is it really just getting your heart rate up and making you feel like you've worked hard. So yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Not to say if you want to do, you know, a hundred jump squats, that that's bad, but uh, we're just not saying that it's necessary to grow your quads. (laughs)
1: Yeah, definitely. But it might be good for your cardiovascular health, which is your goal.
0: Mm -hmm. So this next question was asked by Nutrition in Mind, and it says, what do you think about donating blood and performance for the next week? Now, I feel like this question is almost targeted at me because, uh, perhaps this listener saw that I donated blood on Monday, uh, because it'd been three months and you can donate blood every single 12 weeks. So when and donated some whole blood, you know, I've been a regular blood donor for years. And when you donate blood, they do take around 470 milliliters of blood from you. And the average human blood volume is somewhere between five to six liters, I wow. believe. Yeah. That's
1: more than I thought. Oh yeah. Not more proportion of blood taken.
0: Oh yeah, well they take a bit but we still have quite a bit left which is all good. And we have to remember, I think like over 90% of blood is just fluid. Yeah, and the rest is just solutes and blood cells obviously. Uh, but yeah, so the question is does it influence your performance? So, you know, the recommendations that they give obviously from the nurses and you know the doctors and everyone at the blood clinic is that after you donate blood, you know, make sure that you don't engage in like Vigorous exercise or operating heavy machinery and everything like that for between I think 24 to 72 hours, if I'm correct, uh, somewhere between that time frame. So I probably am not the best example of this. I probably don't practice what they preach, but uh, I don't know. I've always probably
1: done. Or... I
0: I just don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie on the podcast, but. You know like I've I have been donating blood for years and I'm always that person who like, I feel fine, you know? I give a little bit of blood and then I go, like, I have a big glass of water and I just walk out of the clinic and I'm on my way. I don't really need to, I don't feel depleted. I don't feel like I need to stop and eat one of like the meat pies that they that they provide or something like that. So I've honestly always felt fine. And like sometimes I've donated blood on a rest day. Sometimes, like last Monday, I donated blood in the morning and then trained legs in the afternoon. And To be honest, I usually feel just fine, Uh, but that is just me. And I really don't want to recommend that other people do that. I would rather that people take the advice from, you know, the nurses and the doctors who provide those recommendations for safety, because, you know, when you are losing blood, obviously you are losing hemoglobin and you're losing that iron and you are losing some of those cells that carry oxygen around the body. So that is important. And Yeah, personally, I haven't found that it has influenced my performance at all. Like if you would have drugged me up, taken my blood, and then, you know, I would have woken up, I probably wouldn't realize that I would have lost blood, but each to their own, it's going to be different for everyone. So I'd recommend probably, yeah, giving blood on a rest day (laughs) Um, and you should probably be just fine. Something interesting about giving blood, though, is that, you know, when you do lose those 470 milliliters of blood, it does take around 600 calories to regenerate that. But it's not like you've just immediately burnt 600 calories. You have to remember that those red blood cells are rejuvenated over the next 12 weeks. So whatever, you know, 600 divided by 12 is, I guess that's how many little calories that you would burn each day on average. But yeah, that's uh, my very mixed answer to that question. Do it on a rest day and probably don't train on the day that you give blood.
1: I think, is it 50? 600 divided by 12.
0: Mm, wow, you're very smart. <laughs> 50 calories a day. What is 50 calories? A week, cal- isn't it? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. 50 calories a week. So 50 divided by 7 would be what? 7. <laughs> seven <laughs> seven calories a day that's like one almond <laughs> you get to have one extra almond every single day for 12 weeks Wow enjoy it
1: <laughs> could be could make the difference in compra
0: oh yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah I don't have many comments on that question because uh, I've never taken blood so maybe maybe the next episode. <laughs>
0: I, I'm trying to convince Jack. I'm trying so hard over here. I don't know. What can I do? What can I do further to convince him? Jack, just bleed, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe one day I'll join you. But this next question is by Emma, and she asks, what's your go-to warm-up routine for squats and deads? So I think a dynamic component is most important when warming up for a particular exercise. And so that's usually I do that just by incrementally working up to my uh, working weight. So across all of my sets, I keep my working weight the same. And so let's say I'm doing like 150 kilos for an RDL. I'll usually start with 60 kilos and 80, then hundred, then 120, then 140, and then 150. I won't do eight reps for every single warm-up set. I'll probably do like um, up until 120, I'll probably do like five to six. 120 I'll do like four, 140 I'll do two or three and then I'll go into 150 and just ensuring that you're fully warmed up is most important. I do some extra things as well that I won't really recommend to anyone else because there's actually not that much evidence to speak for them and that's just like a bit of foam rolling. I use a trigger ball to trigger my lower back and my hips as well which personally I find quite good and I feel like it because I have had back issues, of course, and I find that if I do have a little bit of lower back tightness before that session, it does help to release like the erector spinae and my glute med and stuff
0: like that. Yeah, I think the main thing there is really just making sure that your warm up is dynamic, which means that, you know, it's not isometric and you're not, don't do stretching before exercise, guys, because that has been shown to, uh, Decrease force production. So, you don't want to be doing any sort of static stretching. But, yeah, just getting blood flow to the muscles. And I am a huge advocate for specificity. So, pretty much doing exactly what Jack just said. If you're warming up for a squat, then get your body used to that movement pattern during your warm up for doing squats. You know, don't warm up for a squat by doing a nut like doing a lunge or something like that. You know, you want to replicate the movement pattern. You want to get your body used to moving in that way and incrementally increasing load, especially so that you're neurologically ready. So, I think that's honestly one of the best ways to warm up is just do that exercise but with a slightly lighter weight and like obviously we're not exercise physiologists, we're not physios, so we are trying to stay within our scope of practice for giving recommendations, but I would say that you know you don't need to necessarily be married to any certain idea. There's no one magical warm-up routine that's gonna help you put, you know, 50 kilograms on your squat 1 RM or something like that would be a dream, and Jack and I would both be doing it. Uh, but yeah, I'd say it's really just about specificity, feeling good. And yeah, Jack and I always walk to the gym as well. And honestly, I find that as my warm up too, you know, we're walking in the fricking hot sun in the middle of the day. So (laughs) by the time I'm in the gym, I don't really need to do much warming up. I'm, I'm warm. My blood is flowing and pretty much just ready to go
1: yeah I only walk at the gym now on leg days because I found that it's too hot for me, and my performance actually decreased walking to the gym in the sun. Mm. Uh, so yeah I I personally think the Australian heat's too hot.
0: <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm just making up for all those years in Canada where I was just really cold and now I'm just I'm just like a lizard in the sun, man. I'm just soaking it all in. <laughs> But also, Jack is like, what, you're almost 30 kilograms heavier than me now, so it makes more Mm. sense for you to uh, heat up more than I. (laughs) All right, so I'll move on to another question. So this one is a nice one, and it says, highlight of the week. Jack, what was the highlight of your past week?
1: So I think I've already said this, but it was seeing our puppy, Sam, uh, definitely for sure. And yeah, going over to their players, seeing, I think there were 13... Border Collie puppies, three week old. Oh
0: my gosh, there were so many puppies.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you followed us on Instagram, you would have seen our stories. But yeah, it's just pretty amazing to think where it's quite surreal because like Tia and I both grown up by dog- grown up with dogs, but we've never had one that we own ourselves. So it's just weird to think that like we'll be in our mid to late thirties, we'll have her for that long. Like it's just weird to think such a long term commitment.
0: Yeah, she really is going to be a member of the family. I'm just so excited to uh, start experiencing life with Sam. (laughs) I think, oh my gosh, that was probably the highlight of my week too. But honestly, if I wanted to say something different, I think the highlight of my week was just this past week at the beach, you know, just being so de-stressed, so relaxed, and really just getting to wake up every single morning to the sound of the waves and run down to the beach and dive into the ocean. That was... Oh, the highlight of my week. And it's just motivated me even more to just, I want to work so goddamn hard in life so that one day, Jack, we can move to the beach and just be able to do that every day with Sam, with Sam.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be a dream.
0: We were honestly so excited. We actually started looking up, you know, how much homes cost near the Sunshine Coast, down the Gold Coast, you know, to buy and like whether or not they had backyards, how close they were to the beach and Oh my gosh, I think, oh, I'm just so excited for life. <laughs> Sam is just going to be the best addition to our lives.
1: Yeah, she is going to be a very loved dog. So this next question is, struggling with food cues, never hungry in a cut, and never full in a bulk, nor hungry. How to get food in?
0: Now, this is a pretty unique question, and uh, pretty much it just sounds like, you know, you're pretty out of in tune with your hunger cues, so... I guess the best way to probably tackle that if you are out of tune with those hunger cues would perhaps be, you know, ask yourself, what are your body composition goals? Are you trying to gain weight? Are you trying to maintain weight? Are you trying to lose weight? And then based off those body composition goals, then basically you need to set your certain amount of energy you're going to consume per day, you know, your macronutrient split And just have a plan for when you're going to eat and be on schedule with certain meals and uh, pretty much, you know, try to still achieve your goals in that sense. So that's one way that you can still achieve your goals. But Jack, how would you recommend that she tries to get back in tune with her hunger cues?
1: So to be honest, it's not that abnormal to not be hungry if you're gaining weight or in an improvement season because you do have an abundance of food, even if it is after prep. So like hunger cues might be a bit haywire, but in essence, if you aren't that hungry, then the goal would be to choose more energy dense sources. So it's easier to get in food while still getting a decent amount of like fiber, whole grains, nu- nutrients, etc. And if you aren't feeling full, then do the opposite to get more high volume foods.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you could even look at the time of when you want to consume your meals. So if you aren't feeling very hungry, then, you know, different things work for different people, to be honest. Like you could try to just maybe eat three meals per day, spread those out so that, you know, you've got a good amount of hours between each meal that allows you to feel like, okay, you know, I'm a little depleted on energy. It's time to refuel again and have another meal. Or, you know, some other people prefer to actually spread food out across the day because if they're not hungry at all, even just the thought of sitting down to a huge plate or a huge bowl of food, you know, they don't like that. So they'd rather eat just incrementally across the day. But man, it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. uh, It's just going to take practice. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's, I think post-comp can, is tricky for a lot of people. So Uh, You're not in the boat alone.
0: Mm -hmm. Just with time, you know, hopefully, you know, hormones normalize, hunger cues do normalize, and you really learn to enjoy foods at the times that you want to. Again, it's just, it's really a matter of time, but I have no doubt that uh, your body's gonna get you there because man, food's amazing and um, I'm sure it's going to want to eat. <laughs> okay. So guys, we are coming up almost on 45 minutes now. So we're, that's probably going to be our last question for the day. But to finish off, we're going to say one thing that we learned this week. So Jack, what did you learn this week?
1: So unsurprisingly, mine is about dogs again this week and it's in relation to buying dog sort of accessories, I guess. <laughs>
0: pimp our dog
1: (laughs) so yeah obviously we have to buy a lot of different stuff for Sam and one of them we're looking at is just like one of those turf mats that they can piss and poop on um, instead of so they don't always have to go outside to do it and especially when they're learning as a puppy it's quite valuable but yeah basically at you know pet stock and pet barn like two quite big uh, pet stores Um, They sell like one of those large ones for $350, which is ridiculous. It's literally just a piece of turf. And then at Kmart, it's 18 bucks. (laughs) So like that's, and the same goes with like dog beds as well. Like it's over a hundred bucks for a dog, dog bed. And then like, yeah, 20 bucks at Kmart. So if you do have pets, then shop at Kmart. Because like, they're probably made in the same country anyway.
0: Exactly. That's the thing. So many of these products, man, they're probably made in the exact same flipping factory. But Kmart's the best, man. Lowest prices at Kmart. Uh, something that I learned this week. So recently the new Mass, you know, edition for December was released on the 1st of December, and they put out a new article pretty much saying, you know, what's the average age that powerlifters and weightlifters peak at? Which I thought was pretty interesting. And there's actually quite a difference, you know. So for power lifters, their peak performance is usually 35 years old, plus or minus seven years. Whereas weightlifters, you know, their peak performance is actually 26 plus or minus three years. So I thought that was really interesting, but I guess it really, it really probably makes sense, right? Because when you think about the two different sports powerlifting, obviously lifting as much weight as possible. I think that really is going to come down to years and years of training and building up, you know, that muscular density and just being able to produce more force simply from just having more muscle on you. Whereas weightlifting, you know, snatch and cleans and stuff like that, obviously there's a hell of a lot more agility in there. So obviously I am not an exercise physiologist, so um, someone slap me if they think I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I just thought those numbers were interesting. All right, guys, so that's pretty much gonna be a wrap for our 54th episode. Remember, if you did enjoy it, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, tag Jack, tag myself, and we will catch you next week.
1: See you guys.